entitled Truth. Mm. How the many sides to every story shape our reality. Mm. And it was written by Hector MacDonald in 2018. So MacDonald is a writer and strategic communications consultant who has advised some of the uh, <coughs> top 500 companies in the world. Mm. So funny fact, he actually grew up in Mombasa in the coast. Oh, wow. Yeah, so yeah. He's, he's one of us. He's one of us. Mm. He, should come advise yes. <laughs> he should come advise us on truth, right? Yeah. But now he's based in London. Okay. Um, so this book focuses on the concept of truth. And he says that he doesn't want to do it in a philosophical manner, but in just a very like straight matter-of-the-fact way. Mm. And he looks at how truth can be used just as can be used as lies. Mm. And he argues that the truth is not as straightforward as we would assume it is, and that there are different ways to speak truth, and not all of them are honest. Mm. And so he says we can select truths that engage people, that inspire them to, to action, or we can deploy truths that deliberately mislead. Mm. So he says, for example, let's consider two statements. Mm. One, the internet makes the world's knowledge widely available for all. Or two, the internet accelerates the spread of misinformation and hatred. Mm. So I would say that both those statements are very true. Yeah. 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 Um, but one statement would create a completely different impression from the other. Mm. So if you approach a person who'd never heard of the internet before and mm. told them, this thing called the internet, it accelerates the spread of misinformation and hatred, yeah. they would then yeah. take the internet as a negative thing. Mm. Um, and so he says there are usually more than one truth that can be drawn from any set of facts. Yeah. And this is what he calls competing truths how two seemingly opposite things can both be true at the same time when told from different perspectives. Mm. And so he highlights how our interactions with people can shape our reality, especially so if a person knows more than we do, mm. because they can then manipulate how you interpret information. Mm. And so in the book he says, it's not just that we are being lied to. The bigger and more dangerous problem is that we are being routinely misled by the truth. Wow. The truth is being used as a tool to mislead us. Yeah. And so in this book, he identifies um, three types of people who can communicate truths or lies to you. He calls them advocates, misinformers, and misleaders. And so advocates, he says, select these competing truths that create a reasonably accurate re impression of reality mm. to achieve a constructive goal. So these are people who are trying to help you, but they just kind of mislead you a little bit. <laughs> then you have misinformers who innocently propagate um, competing truths that unintentionally distort reality. So kind of that's the next level. Yeah. And then the, finally, you have the misleaders who deliberately deploy competing truths to create an impression of reality that they themselves know isn't true. true. Yeah. Wow. So the fantastic thing about this book is that at the end he gives a lot of resources how people can go and check some of the facts that are given to us in the world and one that I use regularly that I want to share with everyone is called africacheck.org mm. and it is an independent non-partisan <coughs> website that does fact checking on things that politicians or governments even journalists say about um, current things in Africa mm. so they took the they have this thing called the Jubilee Party Tracker so they took some Wait, of the key of Kenya, of Kenya mm. okay. the Jubilee Party Tracker they took some of the key promises made by the Jubilee Party ahead of both the 2013 and 2017 elections to see if they delivered on those promises. Yeah. So they looked at 11 key promises and they looked to see how they fared. Mm -hmm. So the facts that I had yesterday have actually changed as of this morning Great. and that's based on the KCPE results. Mm -hmm. So 54% um, of the promises were on track or in the works. 27% were completed and had met the promises, and 18% were broken or failed promises. So just a few examples, I'll give them quickly. Yeah. Um, one of them was to ensure that 33% of government appointees are women. 
I think we know that that has been broken, right? Because mm -hmm. we're, I mean, two-thirds gender rule and just across yeah. all other government positions. They had a target to reach 7 to 10% of growth in the first two years. That was broken as well. However, they had said that they wanted to make this promise to ensure that there were more jobs for the youth. And I would say that they have actually succeeded on that front because they've increased the jobs year on year, you know, increasingly. Mm. So that's um, according to Africa Factor. That's yeah, uh -huh. according to them. Um, another one was to increase the national budget allocation for counties from 15% to 40% within five years. That promise has been kept. Mm. Increase paved road networks from 11,000 kilometers to 24,000 kilometers in five years. Mm. That one is in progress and ongoing. I think they're at 80% completion. Mm -hmm. And then the one that has just been confirmed today was to raise the transition rate from primary school to secondary school to 90%. They've actually surpassed that and they've managed 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think that I, sometimes... I think, I think, I think the government deserves a clap. They do deserve they a clap. And I think that sometimes you can have these advocates, these misinformers, th these misleaders, yeah. who don't let you know that things are actually happening. Yeah. And, and what you're telling us then, June, um, and the clap wasn't sarcastic, actually, <laughs> because what you're telling us is that things are not as bad as they as seem. They see as we say on damaging ignorance. Mm -hmm. They're not. Really. Yeah, that's very true. Right? And, and um, uh, let me talk a little bit about the misleaders. Yeah. <clears throat> um, in, in one chapter of the book, he talks about how we can get misled uh, by marketing gimmicks, mm. uh, particularly when we're engaging in financial transactions, mm. yeah. which we do on a daily basis. Mm. Uh, most of the time, we, we're usually shopping for things that we need, mm -hmm. but sometimes we're also shopping for things that you know uh, we want, <laughs> yeah. things that we don't necessarily impulse. need, yeah. impulse purchases, yeah. Yeah. things that are beyond uh, what we had budgeted for. Um, and, uh, and, and and what he's saying is, is, is that people, uh, when they're engaging in uh, subjective valuation, mm. ought to try and lift themselves from the subject Objectivity as much as they yeah. can mm -hmm. to try and um, you know try and bring in some objective analysis to yeah. how much something is worth. So he says, work out what things are worth to you rather than being driven by the price that others put on them. Mm. Um, and so the, the, the idea here is to be mindful uh, when determining the value of an item. And and I'll give two examples. Um, or one example, and then I'll give a story. Uh, for example, sometimes you, you you get into a shop and it has an original price versus a sale price, mm. and the original <laughs> price is actually set to mislead you. Yeah. So that when you see the sale price, you think this is what a bargain. What a bargain! Precisely, it's so cheap. I must have it. Yeah. And yet it was out of your budget. Yeah. <laughs> and so he says, what you ought to do is uh, behave like an economist and ask the opportunity cost question. Mm. You know, yeah. what, what else could I be doing with this money? Yeah. You know, yeah. if I buy this, what is the opportunity for gone? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and those kinds of evaluations then get you to something that is more accurate, something that is independent of you yeah. outside of those people out there who mislead you. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, a final story just before you go. Sure. All right, of a company uh, that <coughs> schemed to shape our valuation of, a, of, a, of an item that is not so rare an item that we call the diamond, mm. right? So in 1867, uh, by the river of South Africa's uh, Orange River, mm. uh, a young teenage boy finds a diamond, 22-carat mm -hmm. diamond. Wow. He didn't know it was a 22-carat. He just took it home mm. to his sister, and they played with it. Mm. His parents then discovered <laughs> the 22-carat diamond. Yeah. And uh, up until that time, India, I think, produced the most diamonds in the world. Mm. And, you know, they had extracted and completed all the, you know, uh, they'd exhausted the mines in India. Mm -hmm. and, so, and, and so in South Africa, a, a diamond rush begun, and they found that there were actually a lot of diamonds. Yeah. So, so they, you know, did a lot of mining. But this brought about one problem. 
too much supply. Uh, mm. So the in, price in, in the market. So yeah. the price dipped, mm. right? And, and comes so so comes along a guy called Cecil Rhodes. Cecil Rhodes says, "Look, we have to do <coughs> some sort of intervention here." He goes, he raises money, um, and buys out all the diamond mining companies in South Africa. Wow! Mm. Right? Uh, De Beers is formed, and they then become a monopoly who yeah. set the, the supply price, yeah. and thereby set the price of a mm. diamond. Wow. But that's not enough because now they had a second problem. Mm -hmm. You have all these diamonds. So you have too much inventory. And so they go to New York and they engage the services of a company called N.W. Air and Sun, mm. or a propaganda and advertising agency, mm. who had done some work for the U.S. government in the 1940s. Uh, and, and, and they engage them to basically uh, market and to you know, uh, uh, sell uh, mm. the diamond uh, to the world. And, and the brilliance was that they attached diamonds to marriage, to engagement. Yeah. Something that we were always... Happy and yeah, exactly. <laughs> something, yes, something you know, that, that makes us all happy, but something that we will always... People will always get married. As yeah. people eat, people yeah. mm. born or die. Yeah. Yeah. The marriage, marriage is, is, is a fact of life, yeah. mm -hmm. precisely. Yeah. And so today in the US, for example, uh, the diamond industry is worth $39 billion. Yeah. But wow. if it wasn't for NW Air and Sun and, and the beers, <laughs> women would probably be wearing copper rings yes. or gold rings. You wouldn't really care about the diamonds. And so guys much. would be happier with fatter pockets. Yeah, <laughs> true. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So but money. that is how subjective truths uh, can be manipulated. manipulated. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. So he also goes to talk about artificial truths. And here he talks about social constructs. Mm. So Yuval Noah Harari, which is an author we've done here before, mm. describes social constructs as figments of our collective imagination. Mm. So they become true only when all of us, the collective, okay. agrees that that will be mm. the truth. Yeah. Right. So he goes on into the chapter and says how um, social constructs can be dangerous, but also can be useful. Now, the most useful one he sort of describes is money. Mm. So he says that... Um, Few social constructs have contributed as much to human progress as money. Yeah. Um, and without the agreed stores of value, so you and I agree a dollar is worth this much yeah. and um, a shilling is worth this, this much. much. Mm -hmm. And that's how we go about exchanging goods mm. for money and it makes sense. Mm -hmm. But we have to suspend our imagination to agree that that's what it is because yeah. that piece of paper doesn't actually hold any value. Any value. Yeah. But that all of us have note. to collectively <laughs> agree about yeah. it. Right? Mm. And so he says that... Um, we, we see this painfully clearly um, when we lose trust in, let's say, that store mm. of value. And for instance, he talks about the Zimbabwe dollar. Yeah. Yeah. When it collapsed, the, the, all the paper you held meant, meant nothing. nothing. Yeah. And it's because you didn't trust the currency and yeah. you didn't trust the government that was issuing that said money. currency. Mm -hmm. in, in more positive news, though, Zimbabwe has launched its dollar again. again. Yeah. Mm. It's like a $5 and a $2 mm. denomination. And they're going to see how it is. Yeah. To, mm. to, to, if the, if the public buy into it. Yes, yeah. and I think they will build that trust yeah. um, eventually, and it's worth it. Um, then he also talks about human rights. He mm. says that human rights was a construct that we came up with yes. sort of around World War II when mm. the Holocaust happened. Yeah. And all of us bought into this idea of human rights and mm. not violating them. But he says that human rights were not inherent in us. Mm. People were being enslaved, yes. people mm. were being slaughtered, yes. children mm. were working yeah. here. Absolutely. From when they were and it was, legal. <laughs> it was legal. And it was legal. And he says that, I mean, even the idea of individual freedoms goes mm. against 
freedom. It's it's sort of contradictory uh, because I should have the freedom to hurt others. Yes, mm. well, if I should have that individual yeah. freedom. Yeah. yeah, if it is really mm. that, right? So he talks about the contradiction there. Mm. But the interesting one I think he, he talks about as well in terms of that freedom is that we keep adding these liberties that we're saying, nope, if you don't have this, it's a violation. Mm. In 2016, the UN declared that ha- not having access to the internet and yes. information was a violation of your human, human rights. rights. Mm. People like my parents would be like, what? Not mm. having yeah. internet yeah. is yeah. a yeah. violation. Yeah. But you'll find like a 15-year-old who, this is yeah. my life, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so some of those things. Ethiopia and Uganda still leverage uh, social media mm-hmm. in their governments and say, you know what, exams are happening, we're switching off the internet. Yes. Or in Uganda, <coughs> politics is happening, we're switching it off. Or yeah. we're going to tax you really highly, yeah. right? Um, and then he goes on to talk about, very quickly, the future of social constructs. Mm. So these things, these imaginary things that we give ourselves. And the Chinese government is at the forefront of coming up with a social credit score. Mm. So the more good you do, the mm. more access you have to state resources. Yeah. Mm. So for instance, if you don't visit your elderly parents, Mm. If you park badly or you have parking fines or whatever, <laughs> those things take away from your credit yep. score. Okay, as an individual. Yeah, so you yeah. might find that you may not be able to travel abroad. Yeah. You might find, so they're using those. Can you get a loan? If you, it depends. Oh so you God. have to actually care about not only your financial behavior, yeah, but, but your, your actual moral yeah, yeah. Behavior. Uh, behavior as well. Which, is, which I, I thought was so pretty interesting. interesting. Yeah, very yes. interesting. So in practice, Just recognizing the social constructs yeah. um, that are being put around you and seeing how to change them if necessary so mm. that they're for the better of society yeah. and not for us. Truth is a yeah. weird one. Yeah. 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 It is. Shaping reality through competing truths can be disorienting and confusing, especially when we challenge long-held beliefs and truths that Mm, we have. mm. Competing truths are um, affecting our everyday lives, and we owe it to ourselves and our society to get better at recognizing them, using them responsibly, if necessary, resisting them. Mm. Mm. 